Kia ora te welcome back to Under the Whareke, I'm Anatola. And I'm Tahu. Today we have a pretty interesting topic that I'm very naive in, <laughs> um, conversion therapy. And we have two lovely guests, Chanel and Trinity, tēnā kōrua. Would you guys like to explain just who you are and a little bit about yourselves and what you um, do? We can start with Chanel if you like. Yeah. Uh, kia ora, I'm Chanel. I use they, them pronouns. I am a law student and psychology student at the University of Auckland. And in my part time, I write for the Herald. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's very interesting. Yeah. And where are yeah. you from? I was born in Fiji. My dad is Fijian and South Asian, and my mum's South Asian, so I'm Fijian and South Asian. I don't quite know where in South Asia I'm from, India most likely, and that's because many years ago the British colonised India and Fiji and brought Indians to Fiji, so I guess I belong to a group of displaced peoples. Mm. Thank you. And now that. you're found. Yeah. Here is Chanel. Shout out. 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 Shout yeah, what do I do? I'm uh, photographer um, and poet and then I work for a really cool gallery um, outside of that just as like my day job and yeah. Mean trend. Cool. If at any point, you, I know you're on Zoom, but if at any point you can't hear us or you need us to yeah, speak a little bit louder, just let us know. Don't even feel like bad for interrupting. Um, cool, so kind of to warm up the space, warm up the couch, the chairs, um, and just like for us to address a really, really painful um, but really important topic is we want to do a little icebreaker. So the icebreaker is yeah, nah, or nah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and we get quite passionate about our answers sometimes, and that's cool. Also, judgment's allowed. <laughs> judgment is always allowed on the opposing <laughs> answer. <laughs> um, but basically, the so I'll say a statement and then we'll have a little corridor and then you can you can respond if that's a year now or nah year for you. So the statement is socks with sandals or jandals. Socks with sandals or jandals. Yeah. Do you wear socks with sandals or jandals? Is that I a year now or nah year? I think that's different. I think you need to pick sandals or jandals. Okay, sandals. With jandals, it's like, why would you wear socks <laughs> yeah. with the little Some thing in do. between? Really? Some people really do. Then okay, we'll stick with sandals. Your yeah, toe socks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love those toe socks. They're so cool. For sandals. Okay, so with sandals. So, socks for sandals. Yeah, nah, nah, yeah. Yeah, nah. Yeah, nah. Which one's yeah? <laughs> nah, yeah. Nah, yeah. Nah, yeah, yeah. Yeah? yeah. yeah. Why, why are you nah, yeah? I like socks. And I like, like, I just wear socks everywhere mm. with everything. Jandals are the one thing that I will not wear socks with because who wears socks with <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> but sandals, yes, I wore socks with Crocs to oh, primary yeah. school. So, yeah. Nah, well, yeah, you were yeah. in Crocs yeah. in primary school. Yeah, I was ahead of time. You were, yeah, you were ahead of the trend. <laughs> <laughs> I was a trendsetter. Yeah. Absolutely. And why are you, yeah, nah, trend? Um... I just don't really, I just don't really wear them. Um, and if I do, like I wear um, ankle socks, 
and so it doesn't really make so much sense. I feel like if you're rocking socks with jandals or like scuffs, it's generally like the, the long one, longer ones that go up past your ankle and it looks trendy as, but yeah, I can't rock that, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just the practicality of sandals. Like, I wear sandals to keep air in my toes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, you just wear covered shoes. Like, obviously, I'm not a fashionista, so I don't know. What? Yeah. <laughs> you don't say, huh? <laughs> so it's not like I wear things for look. I wear them for practical yeah. uses. So, True. Yeah, and I don't often wear shoes, no. as you can see. So what's the point? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like you. the air beneath my, <laughs> between my toes. I love feeling the air Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm a, I'm a, nah, yeah. Like, I think it's because I love socks. Like, I've still got these cute as Frida Kahlo socks. They're so cute. I'll show you later. Okay. Um, they're really cute. And I just love showing them off. So now everyone can see them on sandals. So you can't see them if I'm wearing boots. Okay. So I'm a nah, yeah. Yeah, you know? <laughs> we love socks around here. So that's my answer. Okay. <laughs> Great. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll move on to your pop quiz where you get to ask us the questions now. And it's about... Um, the topic of the day, which is conversion therapy. Mm. Um, not a light topic, but um, if we're laughing during this time, it's because we're just stupidly competitive. We so. really are. <laughs> it is, yeah. Yeah, so you get to ask us the questions. We'll write an answer that yeah. we think it is. Is the answer. And Trin, if you have anything that you want to contribute to the corridor, like jump in at any point, but Chanel. Or any ask. questions. Yo, any questions, yeah, yeah for, for sure. Kafai? Okay. So the first one is, um, what percent of trans and non-binary people have experienced conversion therapy by a medical professional in Aotearoa? Wow. Oi. What percent, so out of the 100% of trans and non-binary people, who of them have experienced conversion therapy? From a medical. From a me medical professional. Yep. I did not even know. Me. Okay, because I'm trying to think of, okay. okay. <laughs> I've gone for okay. it. Oh, <laughs> for oh, no, I don't, oh, budget. Okay, I've said 48%. 68%. It's actually much lower than that. Oh. It's 17%. Wow. Oh, so wow. Medical professionals have stopped about 17% of trans and non-binary people from, from being trans or non-binary. Oh, have right. stopped. Yeah. Oh, but would they have tried with many? Like when they're doing conversion therapy, would so they? So it's, I don't know how many have attempted, but these are just stats for who they've just stopped. Okay. Right, how they stopped, right, got you. I'd be interested to know what that looks like in a, Christ, uh, a religious space. Oh. Yeah, because that would be I predominantly think, of the numbers, right? Yeah, because I believe medical profession is where conversion therapy is least likely to happen. Right, So this okay. is probably... The lowest percent the lowest. you'll get. Got right. you. Because okay, I didn't know that's where I thought that would be where. It but religious happen. one is high. Would be higher. You would I'd, I'd so? imagine. Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. Because all the anecdotal stories come from um, religious communities, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And when when they were when it was quite common for it to be in a medical space, well, obviously those numbers are still high for sure. Um, like how long ago did that start? Do you know? These stats are quite recent. Right, right, they're very recent. These stats are just before we banned conversion therapy. Oh, wow. Oh, All right. 
Second question. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. we're like, there's some, there's some of the pop quiz were like this. Fuck. Uh, yeah. Yes, that's okay. real. Okay. Um, the next one's quite easy. Which month and year did New Zealand ban conversion therapy? Uh, freaking hell. I don't know. The, uh, I don't know if this is. When did your book come out? March, May. I've <laughs> <laughs> gone with 2021, May. I think it's, oh, I honestly don't know. 2022, Feb? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so we, February 2023 marks one year since the ban on conversion therapy wow. in New Zealand. Man. That's yeah. It's still so fresh. Yeah. And and like it yeah. That yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um the next one is does New Zealand's ban on conversion oh. therapy include religious people and parents? Can you say that question again, Sarah? Does New Zealand's ban on conversion therapy include religious people and parents? I think it's this, but I don't actually know. Yes. 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 Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there are no exemptions to practice right. conversion therapy. Right. That's really, that'd be quite hard to police, eh? That would be hard to police. It would be very difficult to police yeah. because it ultimately comes down to whether a young person reports right. their church leader mm. or, or their parent. Or at home. Which is very unlikely. Yeah. And this just shows that because now we this is what it is and it's illegal, that we need to provide more education. Absolutely. And provide accessible education to people. Because I often think about the communities, like if I'm thinking about Tong, being Tongan, right? Like Tongan community, where do they access this information mm. on how to, you know, safely, um, you know, experience this alongside their child? So hopefully more education and accessible knowledge can be brought out to mm. those spaces. Okay. Where there's like translated information too, you know? That'd be cool. It's not just translated information because you can translate, you know, all the English information, but you can't translate, say, Takatapui or Fakaleiti or Fa'afafine to English. True. Right. Like these yeah. identities just do not un exist in that colonial world. world yeah. Yeah. So when you create resources, you can't just take what they have created for white queer identities and give it to indigenous queer communities, right? Mm. You need to create resources. Yeah. So I think it's giving resources to indigenous queer peoples and allowing them to them create to resources it. for their community because we are already doing the work for free. Absolutely. You just need to resource us. Shout out to Village Collective yeah. <laughs> out in South Auckland. They're doing mean mahi and yeah, they've that's more of a Pacifica organization, but yeah. Why? Wow. Any other questions? Um, let's see. One more? Or we got yeah. two? Yeah? We got two more? No. You got two more. You got two more? Yeah. Okay. How many yes. do you want? Let's do it. I, I want to learn because I don't, okay. Okay. Let's I do don't it. know anything. Yeah, let's yeah. do it then. Let's do okay. it. Can someone consent to conversion therapy in New Zealand? <laughs> I see you looking at me. I see you. <laughs> I've written. I've written. Oh, I don't know. Oh, I'll pick a yes or no. <laughs> no? No. 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 Okay. Consent so you can't is not a defense. Right. right. Victim consent to conversion therapy is never a defense. Mm. So it's unlike other crimes where, there, for example, in New Zealand, you can consent to be assaulted. So you can consent to be slapped on your face. Can you? Yes. Yes. Consent okay. is a defense. 
However, you cannot consent to conversion therapy. Mm. Okay, so the last one is. Oh yeah, like you can consent to do kickboxing or something. Yeah, yeah you can consent to yeah. rugby. You can consent yeah. to lots of sports. Like sports, for example, is implicit, implied right. consent, consent, right? Yeah. As soon as you walk into a rugby field, you, you consent to be mm -hmm. tackled. Right. Okay. So, and the last one, I guess, um, the last one is. How many people submitted in favour of banning conversion therapy to Parliament, and how many against? Can we have a total? So I can go. A total would be around 107,000 submissions in total. Okay. 107,000 submissions. So we have to find a number for for and against. Yeah. Okay. Both in the thousands. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Trying to remember. 60,000. Wait, I haven't seen if it's four again. Well, obviously, it's four because <laughs> they won. <laughs> oh. Oh. I think it's. Oh, because you said it now, I'm like, <laughs> leave your numbers on me. Okay, 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 okay. Um, I think it's just a guessing game, eh? I don't even know if that's like mathematically the right answer. <laughs> I don't know either. But look, we won't judge our maths. You've eh? won so close to me. <laughs> you can see my answer. No, no, no. I was already Cut the it answer. out. I, I decided 67,004. And I, I thought that with the traditional people of New Zealand, conservatives, there would have been a lot against. Yeah. I did 70,004 and 40,000. Again, we don't know the maths, you know, we're not mathing, um, but 50,004 against. <laughs> yeah, it, it really ain't mathing. No, <laughs> yeah, yeah, really no, no. mathing. <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry. Is> that... <laughs> okay. We were quite lucky. It was 87,000 in favour and about 20,000 against or neutral. Okay. Wow, that's real. I mean, that's still, that's still a lot of people, but that's. Yeah, big. it was quite a successful campaign. Yeah. Yes, very. Did you find that there were an apparent yeah. group of people that said against? Oh, the, the, the largest, if I had to categorise people who had submitted against, the largest group would be Christian churches. Right, oh, okay. got you. Okay. Surprisingly, the other religions didn't come out fighting as strong. Wow. We had some other religions but Christians were overwhelmingly dominating it. Do you think right. that's because we've got a higher population of Christian, or is that because you think that Christians have more of a stance intense, against. passionate stance against it? Multiple things, right? Christians, high population. Two, Christians get away with everything. If a Muslim yeah. or a Hindu community leader came out and said, I support conversion therapy, they would get crucified. Whereas uh, if a Christian does it, it's your religious right to do whatever you want, right? Wow. And a lot of the times Christianity is associated with whiteness, Hinduism and uh, Islam is associated with being brown. Now as a white person, you can stand up and oppose, um, be in favor of conversion therapy and have people defend you. As a brown person, if you support conversion therapy, people no longer discuss your point of view, people discuss your identity. Right. So I think a lot of brown people who were in favour of conversion therapy did not support it because they were afraid of the racist, racist. backlash. Yeah, Ooh, that's Which real. is bad, but you know, yeah. it worked in my favour. Yeah, <laughs> it did work in your favour. I love that. Yeah. Um, for those who don't know much about conversion therapy for the both of you, how, how can you explain it to someone? Like, as Taku said, like, he doesn't know much about it. What is conversion therapy? I, I pretty much, like, have only heard that that law came through. 
last year. Mm. So that's all I know. Right. I didn't even know what conversion therapy was. Obviously, having grown up in a background where that's been a thing. So, yeah, explain to me what actually conversion therapy looks like. Mm. Trinity, do you want to take this one? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I was just thinking as, as that question was asked, I think probably in its most simplest form, um, and it's not a simple matter whatsoever, but I think in terms of the core of it, conversion therapy is the presentation of, it's the presentation of a narrative that erases you as a valid being with a right to exist in the world. Um, and so, like within Christianity, and I was in um, the Christian churches for 10 years of my life, from the age of 12, um, and then left um, about halfway through, oh no, at the start of 2017. Um, and in its most simplest form, for my own self and my own experiences of it, is that it's, especially at such a young age, um, you're presented with heaven and hell, you're presented with good people and bad people, you're presented with a series of binaries that for a kid's brain seem really simple and then you basically, it just all builds from that and it's years of layering and complications and like extra layers added onto the dogma that essentially still creates all these binaries and anyone not straight anyone not cis uh, falls into the category of defective, like a defective iteration of humanity as a result of the original sin by Adam and Eve kind of thing. Um, and basically it just all goes from there and it's implicit, it's, and then you can get other strands, you can get the racism, you can get all these other sort of, depends on the church, depends on the congregation, depends how immersed they are with, um, with whatever the cultures are, like if it's, you know, a church where it's all Māori or, you know, anything like, or all like within Pacifica communities that inherently like changes how that's necessarily packaged or presented and I can only speak to the churches that I were in. Um, but yeah, essentially I think that's probably the simplest way to explain it. If that, I don't know, does that make sense to you? Yeah. Yeah, but um, is the actual practice of conversion therapy um, before it was illegal was that something that like the doctor would sit down with you and say you are not gay or you are a male or you are a female what what would the practice look like Trinity do you want to take this one or should I yeah um, well there's like there's so there's all the implicit stuff that exists within like just churches so it's all the sort of um, just kind of organically uh, homophobic and transphobic doctrine that exists um, and that is preached um, but then in a more I guess uh, explicit context um, a lot of uh, counselling degrees um, can be done are done through Christian institutions um, and so that then creates like a pipeline where you get um, all of these counsellors who deal with like the mental health of people that then have apply a Christian lens and because all of that sort of what Christianity entails and a lot of iterations of it is yeah just inherently transphobic and homophobic and that just sort of naturally gets lilted onto people who might be being like mm, I don't know am I queer 
in whatever form or expression that takes for that person. Um, so it can look like, um, so for me, um, one church I was in, they brought in conversion therapy counsellor whose specific job was to be like, you're not queer. Um, I was probably like 15 or 16. And so this was a specialist counsellor that charged like 200 an hour that the church made a big deal of like, we're bringing this person in for you. Um, and yeah, I had a couple of sessions with her. She was an older Pākehā lady, but I was just like, oh, I don't really like you. So it didn't stick. But yeah, it's, it can start as easily as that. Um, but also it can happen within contexts like um, cell groups or small groups, which is a basically like... Um, weekly there's like your sunday service and then there's like small groups or like basically groups of christians that meet during the week um and you can go through courses they have christian courses on like purity and that also gets covered of like purity as in like a man and a woman before you know sex before marriage and all the other implicit stuff of like don't be gay don't be non-cis all of that kind of thing um and usually churches, all churches that I've been to, uh, make you sign an agreement that says that you won't hold them liable, they're not liable for any damages, but then they also sort of frame it as like, a, this is a physical representation of your commitment to God, and then in the, the asterisk to that is, and also we get no liability. So, and they've been doing that for years, so when the conversion therapy um, bill and everything like that, and the push came for that, I did wonder how that was going to be handled when churches have always known that there's legal uh, risk and have always presented and packaged the actual practice of conversion therapy in so many dressed up Christian terms that you wouldn't know left from right at the end of the day. Um, yeah. But what, what's been your experience, Chanel, if you, well, you know, what you can speak to? Yeah, I mean, the way that I would define conversion therapy is, you know, in the most basic sense is any practice that aims to change, suppress or eliminate someone's queer identity to a non-queer identity. Now, New Zealand mm. has a very interesting history of conversion therapy. Many years ago, um, a lady called Joan Bellingham, she grew up wanting to be a nurse, but when the word got out that she was a lesbian, she was taken to the hospital, not as a nurse, but as a patient. She was given 200 electric shocks in her sure. time at the Princess Margaret Hospital to cure her of her lesbianism. Right, so they so used physical Back then well. they used electric shocks to cure someone's queerness, right? But things have changed and they've become more subtle. So people use things like psychoanalysis where you sit down with a counsellor one-on-one and they tell you that your sexuality can absolutely be changed, right? right. Um, but there's also things like evasion therapy that's trying to associate your queerness with pain. So... Mm-hmm you get told that wear a rubber band and every time you have a queer thought, snap yourself wow. with a rubber band. So essentially what you're doing <coughs> is that you're associating your queerness with pain, pain and therefore accepting that you're queer becomes a punishment in itself. And it's not just snapping yourself with a rubber band, it's taking ice cold showers, pinching yourself, etc., etc. But I think where we see it happen most commonly is obviously religious communities, right? And the reason why it's so easy for it to happen in religious communities is often because a religious leader has so much authority that no one will ever question them, right? Mm. 
So when I was growing up in a small village in Fiji, in a very religious village, when the church leader said that this needs to happen, that needs to happen, and no one can disagree with them. Mm. Anyone who disagrees with the leader of the church or the temple is shunned upon and removed from the community. So everyone's trying to protect their place in the community. Um, so as a young person who's only ever known and loved their family and their community, mm. you are told that if you do not change, your family will disown you, your church will banish you and you will burn in hell for the rest of your life. Mm. Now, say an eight-year-old or a ten-year-old who's never been outside their village, that's what you present to them. No ten-year-old is going to choose to be disowned by their family and get banished by their community. Yeah, they'll try their hardest. They'll try their hardest to conform and yeah, find totally. a sense of belonging and conversion therapy for a lot of young queer people presents as hope. As much as we hate to admit it, a lot of young queer people think that conversion therapy can truly help them. Right. And that's why they go into it, because hoping they will change. And what often happens is that young people go into conversion therapy knowing that if they do not change, their family will disown them. But once they get into conversion therapy, they realize that change is not happening. So they just have to accept that their family will disown them. And that just drives them into a really dark place. Or pretend that it has changed them. Oh yeah, a lot of people try to pretend. I yeah. know many people who have pretended, got married, had kids, and oh. then come out later in life. Where, where do they draw the line legally, um, now that it's illegal in New Zealand to use conversion therapy, where there's um, like a bully at a school, and they're telling them, like, you shouldn't be gay, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't... Blah, blah, blah. When does that become conversion therapy versus bullying? Well, the law is quite clear that it's, you know, a consistent practice, right? right? So calling someone a derogatory slur is not conversion therapy. Telling someone they should change their identity is not conversion therapy. Those are just, you know, comments and remarks that are made. Right. The threshold for prosecuting someone under the Conversion Practices Prohibition Legislation Act is very high so it has to be a practice but it also has to be you know you intended to change right. their identity right and you cause them some level of harm so if you're under the age of 18 you just need to prove that the person practiced conversion therapy with the intent of changing your identity if you're above 18 then you have to prove that the person practiced conversion therapy with the intent of changing your identity and caused you serious harm wow yeah, I, I before the we started filming, we had a oh little. Oh my days! Yeah, I'm like, like yeah. Um, before we started filming, we had a little corridor, and you shared some really amazing um, point of views around the conflict yeah. of of deciding to kind of push this forward for rightful reasons. Can you share about what that conflict looked like for you during this yeah. process? Trinity, I'll pass this on to you after my answer because I think you'll have something to add as well. Mm. Um, I think. I was 19 years old when I went to youth parliament and gave my speech to ban conversion therapy. Quite young, quite naive, mm -hmm. did not fully understand what I was about to embark, right? So I started the movement to ban conversion therapy 2017, 2018, and then 2019 was the peak of our movement. And we were essentially advocating for a ban on conversion therapy, which would create a criminal offence. And the older I got, the more I realized that essentially you have this practice that's horrendous and you want to outlaw it. But with that comes a criminal offense. 
and that is the extension of the state's power into people's personal lives. We know that homophobia and transphobia due to colonization is more prevalent in brown communities. What we also know is that the criminal justice system disproportionately affects people of color. So essentially, when you criminalize homophobia and transphobia, you are creating a crime with a double whammy to affect indigenous people and people of color. And that was the inner turmoil that do I want to create a criminal offense or do I want this practice to be outlawed? And obviously we came on the side of we want this practice outlawed. But I think the most you know controversial part of the movement was to ban conversion therapy. What really got missed out was our advocacy to ensure that people who suffered conversion therapy had ACC support. Absolutely. The government declined that. And the other thing was ensuring that there were resources to community organizations to create education for Absolutely. community members, right? Mm. And that was also declined. So currently there's no resources for mental health support or education for queer community and their family. Because a ban on conversion therapy is not an end on conversion therapy. A ban yeah. is a criminal offense which requires people to offend yeah. and the police to catch them and prosecute them. What we know in New Zealand is that we have one of the highest rates of recidivism, which means that people, when they get out of prison, they offend again. Right. Ending conversion therapy looks like educating an entire generation of people so that conversion therapy just doesn't happen. We've banned conversion therapy. Now the responsibility to end it has fallen on the shoulders of queer people. Mm. Trinity, do you have something to add to that? When I was just listening, I was like, yep, that pretty much sums it up. <laughs> um, yeah. um, it's so weird that yeah. brown communities are the most prevalent to be homophobic because in indigenous narratives, mm. we, we treasured our takatapui, um, especially in Māori narratives. For That's the only one I can speak from because that's all I know. And for us to be the most against our own people, it was just... Mm. Bullshit. Ah, fucking bullshit, the colonisation. Yeah, colonisation, bullshit. But it's crazy that that's a whole fact that you have to think about as, about making that law mm. was putting more um, more pressure on Yeah, criminalising all brown people and it would have been people like our parents. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. Do you find, Trin, um, I noticed you got your co-wide done, um, but you... Uh, your pronouns are they, them. Um, what was that like to make that decision where you took on the... Because now we see kawai being for wahine, eh? And traditionally, at some iwis, it, it wasn't the case. We have um, carvings of wahine with full facial moko and wearing their puhuro as well. Mm. So it's not that there's a right or wrong that this is for wahine. Because I've got my kawai too. So right. does that make... Yeah. Right. Yeah, so if we think about it like that, but for for today's narrative, it's definitely seen more for wahine. Um, how did you feel about doing it? Yeah, uh, it was definitely like an interesting wānanga to have. I think I, at the time that I received uh, my kōwai, um, it was, oh gosh, when was it, 2018? It was before the meritocracy um, narrative had really been like thoroughly overturned by the likes of Leonie Pihama and 
uh, like Kafi, uh, Wahine, who really, and our academics, who really were just like, this is completely like and utterly wrong. This is the internalization of colonization that you have to earn what is yours by whakapapa and by birthright. Um, and so uh, at the time, I knew of one other person who was my age that also had kowai. Um, and at the time, yeah, at the time I was like, yeah, I guess is still just so working through all the stuff that the church leaves you with, naturally, that the idea of exploring being genderqueer just wasn't even on my consciousness um, and has come sort of at a later uh, date over the last couple of years. Um, and yeah, it is a definitely um, an interesting negotiation. I think part of what helps is that I'm also maupuhoro, um, but that wasn't necessarily driven by um, wanting to sort of neutralise the effect of kowai necessarily. Um, I just... I was driven to really seek healing and feel like at home in your body because I think that's one of the things that being in the place, being in somewhere like the church for so long can have a really damaging effect in the sense of like feeling safe in your body like and when that collides with other like trauma layers that it's kind of just a recipe for feeling constantly like your body's a liability and I don't know I was just like oh I've got stuff to do in, in this world I don't really have time for like feeling like I'm just a walking liability waiting to be have harm inflicted on me and so that's what sort of motivated um, receiving pūkoro but there's also been I think a little bit of like a narrative that you can like a way of expressing takatakuitanga is through being mo pūkoro um, but I mean it's really cool just seeing the moko resurgence, especially within our wahine kaita and also um, our tāne who are just looking to, because that was one of my big things, is do we have any designs like facial moko that specifically codes you as takatāpui? Because that would be really cool. Um, but yeah, I guess it's just exploring that space really and just sort of seeing what happens, waiting and seeing what happens because um, I don't think there's really any solid answers but that's also okay because you know it is what it is at the moment. That's I, really interesting. I love that you brought like this this Māori perspective to this because it's so important that we relate it back to the communities that we're saying have been affected by it. Being Fijian and South Asian are there things that you've tapped into, like pre-colonisation, mm -hmm. what that would have looked like for Fijians and South Asians um, when it came to being queer, trans, whatnot? Yeah. I mean, Fijians obviously have the vakasa lewa lewa mm. and they're known as, you know, the third gender, but I obviously reject this idea of a third gender because who's the first and who's the second? This idea that there's a first and a second is very Christian, that men right, came right, first right. and women came mm. second and then there's a third gender. And wow, I, I, yeah. I reject that. I think people just existed. Sure. Mm. And, you know, being vakasa lewa lewa was never an issue or something to think about because it was just so naturally occurring in our community, in our society. Mm. So, and that's why I think indigenous peoples never really made a big deal out of it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> it it was just there. And you know, Indians and South Asians obviously have one of the richest 
queer cultures and it's the hijra samaj right it's really interesting because when i look back at you know the laws that were used to criminalize hijra which is a trans people right um the laws that were used in australia to uplift aboriginal children were used in india to uplift trans people's children and trans people themselves so mm. essentially a lot of trans people could not have their own kids biologically so their role in society was to care for the children who did not have parents okay. or elders to take care of them mm. and so trans people played this fundamental role in indian society to ensure the caring of children who did not have anyone else and so when colonization happened they were like oh my god these trans people are so evil let's uplift the children that they are taking care of and so you see how colonization of you know indigenous peoples such as a law in Australia that was uplifting aboriginal children is so directly related to the dismantling of queer indigenous peoples yeah. and i think a lot of the times people do not see that such intrinsic inherent connection between racism and homophobia and transphobia they're all linked they're all linked it's like an octopus yeah. right Right. Colonization is the head right. and then it uses its arms like racism and homophobia and sexism and transphobia and it's got us all tangled up yeah. fighting each other always fighting each other. Mhm. Yeah. Man. Just cut the head off. I've been thinking just while you've been talking and um, please, like, d you don't need to answer it if you don't want to, especially because I don't want to be putting your whanau in a position mm. where there could be further hurt. But if you feel comfortable enough to share, what was the process of both of you experiencing conversion therapy um, surrounding your whanau's involvement around whether that be their decision to have you experience it or even you going through it and then what that looked like after the fact? Who goes Whoever, Chanel or Trin, whoever wants to go. <laughs> Trin, would you like to answer? Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, I, I definitely, there was a series of circumstances um, that meant that I ended up at the very start of like being introduced to the church. It kind of meant that I ended up being immersed in the church culture for like, I don't know, I think it was like four to six weeks. And so initially that's kind of what led to it sort of sticking in the way that it did. Um, and then, and so in terms of like my whanau and their role, um, they didn't really know how deep I was in it. And I don't think they knew that, the, they definitely didn't know the harm that was being caused. Um, and sometimes they'd come along to church services, but I think because they weren't queer, they, none of the invisible layers of like, I, I guess at its most basic form is like this kind of like hegemonic, heteronormative coercion, like towards that, that udder, um, were sort of not, not necessarily as like blatantly obvious for someone who's like in the closet being like, fuck, I don't want to end, sorry, don't want to end up um, in hell. And so, yeah, they didn't really know and I didn't really talk about it. Um, I, was, I was just quite a quiet person, so uh, 
and in terms of my Māori tongue I grew up disconnected and didn't ex- wasn't able to begin reconnecting until uni which was like by that time six years into the church so by that point it was like and really the only reason I left is because I was either gonna die trying to be straight or I was gonna just be um, or I was just gonna decide to live and I decided to live and so that meant leaving the church Um, but yeah in terms of whānau involvement yeah they didn't really know how bad it was and I didn't know how to talk about it so no one won there True. Thank you for that, Trin. I have a somewhat similar story when it comes to the involvement of my parents because a lot of it was triggered by the elders who were leading the church and leading the temple and people at school, right? And uh, I think the reason my parents did not know is it's really important to understand the way that the islands work, right? Fiji is a collectivist community which means that the elders can look after everyone's children mm. your parent can look after me and my parent can look after you and you know the way that people discipline children in Fiji is put very simply illegal in New Zealand yeah. so violence is violence towards children is quite common so if you know an elder hit someone's child it wouldn't have been seen as deeply problematic something that does not require further investigation right, right. Mm-hmm. so that's that context is really important to when you try to understand why my conversion therapy remained hidden from my parents is that you know the church already had the Things power to, to look, look after me having to ask <laughs> the church yeah. the church already had power to look after me and all the other children so whatever they did with me was none of anyone else's concern and uh, I didn't tell my parents that conversion therapy had started because one of the things that the church threatened me with was that my family would disown me. Uh, so if I wanted to tell my parents, that, was, that would require me to somehow believe that the church was lying, that my parents would disown me. Right. And as someone, as a child who did not know any better, I believed the church because for many years, these elders had functioned as people who made me believe they cared for me and had my yeah. best interests at heart. But I guess to be the devil's advocate, <laughs> which is probably the worst thing to be in a situation like this, <laughs> I grew up in Fiji during a time it was a crime to be gay. Wow. So up till the age of 10, it was a crime to be gay and all the elders knew that it was a crime to be gay. So there's a part of me and I think it's a very optimistic part of me that thinks that maybe they were trying to change me so that I would not be criminalized. And I say it's a very optimistic part of me because I don't know if that's what they were trying to do. I don't know if they were trying to protect me from criminalization or if they really just hated queer people and wanted me to change. But it was so much more nuanced than, you know, just showing up to church and them saying, change. Yeah. But then, you know, even if they did want me to truly change, and they did not like queer people. It's, you know, years of colonial conditioning that's led our people to this stage where they hate people who are so intrinsically important to their community. You know, it's... Queer people were always an important part of our community. Colonization uprooted that and conditioned our people with homophobia and transphobia. And then after years of that, we've lost a lot of indigenous knowledge as colonization has done for many indigenous groups. 
but the re-education process never happened. Right. And I think that's happening for our generation, but it's never happened for our parents and our mm. grandparents, and it yeah. might never happen. Mm. But I'm hopeful that the next generation and the one after that, it gets progressively better. Yeah. 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 That's beautiful. Like, we're supposed to be rapping, yeah. but um, <laughs> that like triggered a story yeah. for me. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. <coughs> um, when I was when I was young, my father was he's a hard man as is, um, but he was a really homophobic dude, like vocally homophobic. Just how everyone seemed to have, like this poor use of language and mm. um, just had no time for that concept. Um, that the concept was even real to him, you know. He mm. thought that was a choice, and. Um, when I was really little, he said something to me like, don't do that, it's gay. And I remember asking, like, oh, Dad, well, what, what's wrong with gay? Like, I had to, like, because I'm just a curious dude anyway, but I had to really, like, I posed the question to him, I was like, what, what's wrong with being gay? And, and then he's like, couldn't explain to me what was wrong with it. Mm. Yeah, and then I was like, because I think I want to be gay. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I thought it was right. a choice as a kid. Yeah, because yeah, I thought that was cool. Like, yeah. I thought, yeah, you know. So, like, I'm like, I'm, I might want to be gay. Like, I, I used to like to try and push boundaries, probably. And I think that I asked that, and he was just like, well, it wouldn't be wrong if you were gay, son, because he's always been clear with that he'll love me no matter what. And I was like, so then what's wrong with any gay? And he then come to obviously realised how um, his information had always been um, just homophobic and he had just been given wrong information his whole life and he's changed ever since. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Oh, like, uh, my sister, she is ridiculous. She she um, is bi. Right. And she has boyfriends and girlfriends come and all her queer community whanau come to our place mm. all the time. And dad, like, oh, changed man, man. Like, <laughs> hugging them, like, loves them. I'm like, look at you. <laughs> I remember when I was little, like, you were yeah. bloody ridiculous. Yeah. So it's amazing that people can change as well through information absolutely and um, through love yeah through love and also what i love most is that such a naive innocent question from a child could have changed the way your yeah. dad thought about it and when you pose a question like that but what's wrong yeah with being gay, explain to me please because i would like I to know, know. Yeah. yeah and like that would have changed like oh sh like what, what is, is wrong? wrong you know yeah. like yeah that's so powerful yeah yeah um just like from that beautiful corridor from Tahu, um, I'm wondering, like, do the both of you have any advice for people that have gone through conversion therapy that you'd like to share with them? I would say to all the queer children who are fighting to live another day to keep fighting. Because when I was a kid, mm. I truly did not believe that I would make it to 18. Mm. And here I am at 22 living one of my best lives. Mm. So life changes, mind change, yours yeah. will. And for those who are fighting, we have your back. Yes. Hi. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you, Chanel. Yeah, echo a similar sentiment and just say that it's not your fault. And it's not your fault that you're going through it or that the environment around you normalizes the othering and the erasure of your queerness and there's nothing wrong with it it's a beautiful wonderful part of you and don't let anyone tell you otherwise um, 
and that's hard because in the context of conversion therapy even if it's just the implicit um, sphere of it it can be really hard to actually believe anything other than queerness is bad um, so yeah just I think believe that you can exist past the constraints of an environment that tells you you don't deserve to exist that's that's it that's it um for those who want to access the both of you or find out more information <laughs> where can people find you like where about more conversion therapy information um both in that mahi but also personally or just the community to or just be the community of... yeah to get more visibility trin where can people find you oh yeah just on instagram i mean i haven't really been on there heaps but like all of my writing is just about like validating the emotional landscape that we exist in as indigenous bodies and as people and then also just like the photos because it's nice to be able to see queer people and you know just all kinds of people like feeling seen in a way that's not intrusive um so yeah Google me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. We love it's to so see you. It's so find you, eh? You Google me and they have my date of birth, my place of birth, my mm. Instagram, my Twitter, my LinkedIn, my Facebook. Girl, somebody has been stalking me. To be fair, I think sending me an email, which is attached to my Instagram, is probably the best way to get in touch with me. I reply oh. to my emails on time. I do not reply to my DMs on time. There are too many messages. Yeah. yeah so emails is where it's at yeah amazing and conversion therapy has a website or an yeah, instagram page uh and conversion therapy nz is the handle for cool. the instagram account yeah amazing amazing i love that you also end a trend of like that you see queer people and that we also bring the joy and the love and mm. the color of life and and the visibility of that so mm. i think that's a beautiful way to end and anyone who's experienced conversion therapy just sending you so much aroha um and just a lot of love oh yeah thank you too yeah lovely souls to have a wananga with today yeah. i've learned a lot yeah. i'm feeling very a lot of sit with a yeah like yeah, i feel optimistic yeah like Wait, i can learn oh. these things yeah. <laughs> like i'm good at learning like yeah. no, no. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> nah, thank you so much for the both of you like much appreciation for your time your energy and your love i know it's not a easy topic so thank you so much for being here with thank us you. yeah thank you so cool well thank you so much guys we'll see you in the next episode for under the fariki and so next time kakite anno. Kakite anno.